Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is our second boxing sequel. Unfortunately, the first one was Teen Wolf 2. Not really unfortunately. It was a lot of fun to cover, and it's Jason Bateman as a wolf boxing. (laughs) But it's the first time that we're going to be diving into the Rocky franchise. And we're starting at the end. Rocky five, man, I have not seen this movie in its entirety in so many years, maybe since I was like a kid. So it's going to be so much fun to discuss with Jamie and our munchie expert, Nick Spurdone. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But what I love most about it is it led me to this week's guest, cinematographer, Steven Poster. And man, I had so much fun talking with him, just talking about his beginnings and how he fell in love with still photography, a neighbor that moved next door that really just set everything in motion for him. And then along the way, he had so many times that it could have been over his career, but the dominoes fell in the right place, or he knew somebody that knew the right person. And wow, his filmography, just look it up. I'll put his IMDb and any links of his in the episode notes. And on the website, he sent me some really cool behind-the-scenes photos that'll be on his dedicated page, sequelsonly.com. That'll be forward slash Steven Poster, so you can check it out all there. But man, he worked on Strange Brew, Blade Runner, Big Top Peewee, Donnie Darko, basketball, Rocky five. He has a lot to talk about that one and just so much more. And then now the fact that full circle, he's teaching now where he started, you know, back when he was a kid. So it's really cool. He's be able to teach the next generation of cinematographers and directors of photography, which he taught me same thing, same thing. They just interchange it. But uh, he has a funny story about that as well. So yeah. So without further ado, I'm going to start the interview, but first, if you're new here, welcome. Please subscribe wherever you're listening. Rate us five stars. It helps us grow and helps other people check out these amazing interviews with some amazing individuals, and we have some really fun sequel reviews. So I'm going to shut my yapper, and here is cinematographer Stephen Poster. Let's get started. I like talking about how people start it. Not even just in the bit in the industry because it's a it's one of those industries that has like a huge failure rate. It's so hard to succeed in for the most part. But I like to find out how people got to that point. So where did you grow up? Was it outside of Chicago? Yeah, I grew up outside of well, in the the first suburb outside of Chicago. So it was it was virtually Chicago and uh, North Side. Uh, you know, Chicago's two cities. It's the South Side and the North Side. So I was the North Side kid, and I got interested. You know, this is here. Here we are. The origin story. Uh, I, love that. I got interested. Yeah, here you go. I got interested in photography when I was about ten. Nobody around me were was an influence in terms of other than home home movies or, you know, still photography, just family stuff and tourist stuff. But there was a guy on my block who had a dark room who happened nice. to be the father of my best friend growing up. 
and he was a his, his dad was an engineer and uh, he built his own enlarger and every i mean he was like really you know kind of a that kind of a guy he had his woodworking yeah. shop and and his dark room and and um in fact what's very interesting is i've actually stayed in, in touch with with my friend on and off over the years and his wow. family when they were pack, packing up their house sent me his four by five graphic said it would be better in your hands than in my hand in their hands so oh, it was man. very sweet what did you like to shoot as a kid well it it it, it who knows <laughs> yeah. whatever was in front of me but yeah. but, but at tw- by the time i was 12 I mean, I really got interested in it. And, and of course, everybody, I had many hobbies. So my parents said, oh, this is just another one of those hobbies. And he'll, yeah. In a couple months, he'll be done with it. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a couple months later. At 12 years old, somehow I knew photography was going to be my life. I didn't know what that meant. You know, was <laughs> I, I going to be shooting weddings and bar mitzvahs all my life? Was I going to do school portraits? Was I going to do news? You know, I, that's all I knew. I didn't know much, much beyond that. But I knew I liked it well enough to, to be th- that, that I, this is something I could do. I could do for the rest of my life. And then when I was 14, well, I bought my first camera, my first serious camera. After after my bar mitzvah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, after my bar mitzvah, I took a hundred bucks of my money that I had gotten because that's what they give, you know, a lot of money. And yeah. uh, I took I took a hundred bucks. I went to a neighborhood camera store where I had kind of been hanging out, and he sold me a a nineteen forty nine Rolleiflex twin lens Rolleiflex. And that became my camera all through high school. I was I, oh, I wow. shot with a Rolleiflex all through high school. And when I was 14, we had moved to a near suburb of Chicago. And I met a guy who drove up next door to my house. And there was an empty lot. And uh, I saw that he, he, he had gotten out of a, of a Jaguar an old Jaguar. He had a beard. He smoked a pipe. He had a cap on and he had a light meter on his belt. And I could see that from my front window. And I ran out and I said, hi, my name's Steve. I live there. Uh, What kind of light meter is that? And he said, son, we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. I'm moving in. I'm building a house next door to you. And he was a CBS newsreel cameraman, a network cameraman in Chicago. And he also owned a small 16 millimeter laboratory where all the news film was processed. And, you know, they'd edit it wet. They would go, it it would have to go through the process and they'd grab it off the reels and and edit it pretty pretty much wet just to get it on the air as fast as possible. so he owned he owned that that part of that laboratory and 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 he became my mentor and he was a tough son of a bitch and he really i mean he really was an old navy guy but he was he was wonderful to me and he um insisted that i learn still photography before i even start to do anything with movies and in those days there was no there wasn't video there wasn't anything that that we could do other than super 8 uh, yeah. uh, that, you know, that emulated film. And so I went to school at Southern Illinois. I saw that. Salukis. 
Yes, Alukis. There you go. I'm a Knicks fan, so I don't know if was Frazier still there when you were there, Walt Clyde Frazier. No, no, he was. He 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 was. Wasn't he gone by then? I think he was gone by then. I don't know. He might have been. It might have been before his time. No, but uh, the Salukis. Yeah. <laughs> you know what a Saluki is? No. It's a dog. It's it's a kind of dog. It's like a. <laughs> oh, little, I should know that because that's the logo. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little greyhound, right? <laughs> of course, they had their team Salukis, and uh, but but I was there for two years, and in my freshman year, I was put in a uh, a, a program for classic high school underachievers, of which I was a star. Okay, because <laughs> I un- I underachieved in high school. You know, there was no. There, there was no uh, 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 movie classes. There was no still photography classes. There was there was barely an art class, yeah. uh, and so I did things like I took shop class. I I was the only Jewish kid in shop class, uh, but uh, but but I did that kind of stuff. It, it was more interesting to me. I was interested in theater. I was interested in music. I was interested in photography, and I you know, did what I could to be the photographer for the school. Uh, my principal, uh, my freshman principal called me Flash. Good reputation to have. <laughs> yeah, right. But having met Maury Blackman, who moved in next door to me, uh, the day I met him, I said, I want to be him. Yeah. I said, I want to be him. He is the coolest human being I've ever seen and I want to be him and I did my best to become him in <laughs> fact I smoked a pipe for years I had the beard I wear caps you know nice but Maury was a news shooter and he never wanted me to shoot news he he thought my my lot in life was was far beyond shooting news so he wouldn't let me. He wouldn't let me get a job at the station, and which was okay, <laughs> which yeah. was fine, because it worked out okay. And here's here's Ruthie. Ruthie will join us at times. She's nice. She's got a, a bad case of FOMO. <laughs> she wants she wants to be involved in everything. Yeah. So that so that was it. And I, I went to Southern Illinois, and 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 there was this program that I was put into because I was this classic underachiever in high school, if they had only taught stuff that I liked to, to learn or taught me how to learn, I, I was never taught how to learn. How do you know how to learn? It's not instinctive. It really isn't. So yeah. I went into this program and I became, I became a student and I, I became, I mean, I, it was really, uh, it was uh, a, an experimental program uh, done by the university. And we were in the most experimental section we had 50 kids who were all underachievers and our section was designed, was developed by the design department. And at that time, Buckminster Fuller, if you don't know who that is, look him up. Buckminster Fuller well. was an artist in, artist in residence, amazing human being. And so that was my first year. And I really got excited about school and, and did very well after, after that. But it was arts-based program and I was able to do my photography and a little bit of cinematography in my freshman year 
I had a, a senior who was doing a TV show that was like a little filler show for the local PBS station. And we would go out every afternoon on Friday, every Friday afternoon, we would get a state car, a white state car, and we would drive around and do a, a show called Adventures Through Southern Illinois. <laughs> and believe me, we, we, we had adventures. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And I had a little Bell & Howe 70DR wind-up camera and, and a few rolls of 16-millimeter film and a still camera. And I would provide the, the visuals for the show uh, as, a, as a freshman. So that was, it was pretty, it was pretty remarkable. And we, <laughs> here's, here's one, one quick story on that. We were, uh, my, my buddy who was the, the director um, was into Indian artifacts and there's always stuff all around buried, you know, toward near the Mississippi. So we were out on, uh, on a bayou by the Mississippi and I was, uh, I needed to study. I needed to, a test coming up was on Monday and I had to study something. So I was sitting in the car and it was, uh, uh, it was snake season. It was, it was uh, spring. So the snakes were out. And, and so my, my buddy had a, a, a gun that he had that he had brought from home in case he <laughs> ran into some monster snake, you know, this macho guy. And he's up way up in the Hills and I'm sitting down by the levee even by the, in this car and all of a sudden I look up and I'm surrounded by guys with shotguns and, and rifles and pistols. And I, I knew my friend was up in the hills with a gun. And somehow I, 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 I said, don't shoot, don't shoot. My buddy heard me. And so what happened was this was a, 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 a posse coming out to look for two escaped prisoners the prison was 10 miles down the road on the, on the, on the Mississippi. And the, we were the first thing the helicopter saw was this white car, apparently abandoned next to the levee. Right. And so the whole group came out with their, you know, and, and it took us a while to, to explain our way out of that. But, but I mean, he could have been, he could have been shot if he had pulled that gun, you know, it'd be like, uh, like today, but, uh, yeah. So those those are the kinds of adventures we had on that show. That's a, just an aside. So so okay, I I left. I was very active in civil rights, and at that time there was no support for that at that school, because it was really a southern school. And uh, I had a, a little um, incident that said to myself, "I'm getting out of here." And I, I had seen an advertisement in a magazine for Art Center College of Design in, in, in Hollywood. And that's all I needed. I didn't need to know much more. I knew they had a photography department. And I, I called them up and I, I found a way to uh, kind of expedite getting in. It took about 10 days. I got my parent trans transcripts there and everything. And they accepted me within 10 wow. days. And, and I say, okay, I'm out of Southern Illinois. And I ended up going to Hollywood, which I always wanted to do anyway. Wow. So I, I was in this strange and wonderful art school that had a very big reputation for automobile design. In fact, it is the premier 
still to this day, the premier auto design school in the world and is supported oh, wow. by all the manufacturers. It really is. Every, every car has a piece of art center in it, everything that's ever designed because the, they all come out of there. But they also had a very good still photography department. And I learned in the very first week, I learned more about light than I had ever learned in 10 years of being a photographer. It was a, a remarkable teacher, a guy named Charlie Potts, and he eventually became the head of the, the photography department. But he had a way of teaching how to see light that it was so unique that it, 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 it shook me up. I mean, it was, it was, it was like a revelation to me. Wow. And, and the first six weeks were, I mean, it was just so filled with wonderful experiences of, of this kind of learning. In fact, I now teach at art center. I teach. Yeah, you were uh, saying uh, that's wild. Two, yeah. Two classes at art center. And I do Charlie's first lecture. Every year, oh. I, I I reproduce his first lecture, and and everybody loves it. It's it's a real informative piece. So uh, that's special. So I do that like that year. full yeah, circle. Yeah, it's fun. Wow. So how long were you there? Did you have like it was a traditional like two more years left, or how many years left did you have? There? No, I I stayed. I actually stayed. I stayed for three semesters. And the reason I left, I went back to Chicago and, and got into the, the, the Institute of Design at uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, and they had a photography department, to finish up and get my degree, because I had to get a degree because of my mother. Yeah. I didn't necessarily need one, but I got one. Yeah. And when I, when I graduated, I handed her the diploma. I said, here, this is yours. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I, I left California not not too smart of a move but i left california to go back to chicago because of a woman you know <laughs> that's the story for you, you fall in love and that's it that's it and she was a student at university of wisconsin and i was uh, a student at iit and i did two two or three times a week i would drive to madison wisconsin from chicago to visit her uh that's a far 19- ride isn't it oh yeah well, it's, it's a couple hours. Okay. You know, midnight, snowing, windows yeah. open, you know, stay awake, stay awake. Uh, and uh, fortunately, I didn't drink or anything in those days. We were presumably in love. I was going to, I got engaged to her and uh, was going to marry her. But that's, you know, I never did. Um <laughs> So, but I was in, I was in school. I had this little film that I had shot for a class at Southern. I remember it was something about gravity, something about science and gravity and whatever. I showed that to a company called Film Group, which was a boutique commercial company based on Cinema Verite. It was uh, a, a couple of guys who were documentarians who were getting into commercials it was the early days for that, but and, and a still photographer and a cinematographer who, who was mostly doc and news guy. They, none of them knew how to light. Well, they looked at the movie that I had done and, and said, well, you know how to light. I said, yes, I do. I studied that. And they said, well, we're going to hire you as a cameraman. Here she comes again. 
back and forth. Yeah, we're going to hire you as a cameraman. So I said, okay, I'm a cameraman. And I never looked back. That yeah. was it. I be, and, and I, and a week later, I, I shot my first commercial, national commercial for Kellogg's, 35 millimeter with a gear head. And this was a, a camera in a blimp. And, and it was a very complicated older camera. <laughs> and I had to learn how to do it. The camera equipment came in on a Friday. And it came in in like 35 cases all over <laughs> the studio floor. And I spent all day and most of the evening uh, on Friday and all day on Saturday putting that damn thing together. This little gear goes in here. This, this I'm telling you, it was so, it was crazy. But I finished that by midnight on Saturday. And I had done it on the floor of the studio. And it was much too heavy for me to pick up and put on the dolly. So I ran out into the street. I found a stranger. I said, can you come in and help me? I got to lift something up. <laughs> I brought this stranger in. And he lifted up onto the dolly. And then all day Sunday, I practiced with the wheels. And on wow. Monday, I, sh I shot my first national commercial. So the moral of that story, if there is if there is a moral of that story, <laughs> is be bold and pretend you can do anything. Yeah, fake it till you make it, really. Exactly. That's all you gotta do. Exactly. Wow. So what year ballpark would this be? Like around like sixty seven, like late sixties? That job was uh, in sixty six. Okay. Okay. And I went through, and, and, and the summer of 67, I think I, I got that job in the fall. And then the summer of 67, it, it, it was the, the beginning of the hippie summer of love kind of yeah. thing. And I lived in an apartment very close to Lincoln Park in Chicago, which is where a lot of the action happened. And that was that was like a, a turning point for a lot of stuff. And the, the company wasn't doing very well, so they eventually had to let me go. But I got a job working for a man named Herschel Gordon Lewis. No, oh, yeah. If you don't know, you know who Herschel was? Yeah, like horror. The king. Yeah. Gore. Gore. He yeah, invented I, the word I interviewed gore. one of his like <clears throat> inspirations, proteges, this guy, Joe Castro, that had. Oh, sure. Herschel, yeah, you know Joe. I knew Joe. Yeah, I mean, okay, I, yeah. Met. So he had her, yeah, he had Herschel in one of his last like Terror Two movies, and he like had a he like dedicated the film to it, and he was like the he was like the host of it throughout the thing, like introducing these little short like horror things. Look at that! Wow, ah, great. Herschel was a real con. He was great. He he um, he hired me to work on his movies that summer. And I think we, we did like three movies in the summer, you know, it's like, and I had to go stop at the butcher shop in the morning to pick up the gore, the parts, you know, the animal parts yeah. that we used for the, for the horror stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Were you into horror at all at that point? I learned. <laughs> you learned, right? I, I got into it. In fact, in fact, my first two legitimate 
feature films were both horror films, Blood Beach and Dead and Buried. Yeah. You know, it was it was the, the genre of the era. Yeah, it was. You gotta think sixties, seventies, that's when it really like yeah. kicked off, like yeah, really yeah. kicked into high gear. So I was I was in Chicago sixty seven, sixty eight for the convention. And and uh, my my girlfriend was up in Madison, and she, she was she was a Trotskyite, is what she was. She was living with the young socialists, okay, and they were great. And they were, and it was there was so much action going on in in, in Madison. It was very very a very interesting time. It was a very interesting time everywhere. Yeah, everything that that, that happened in Chicago was based on on the cops were in control and you had to be careful <laughs> no matter what you said or what you did yeah they're out gunning for you but i i had this developing career of of commercials industrials documentaries i did some documentary work with a friend of mine who's still a friend of mine gary sherman who i did my second movie for dead and buried and of which by the way there is a a really a good re-release of Dead and Buried. That's a Blu-ray. It just came out this, oh, yeah? this month or month. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like that's that awesome. movie. I think. I think. I think it's. Uh, it, it, we did some very interesting uh, shooting in that movie. So I have like your IMDb like printed out. So like one of the earliest ones on there, and I and it really caught my eye because it's a great movie. And I interviewed Joe Alves. Who was the production designer on Close Encounters? That's right, you of the said Third you Kind? did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was like I your agree. first, like, would you say that's your first, like, big, like, Hollywood job? That movie? No, I, I, um, before that, I was doing television. I was doing television at Universal. What happened was, I uh, in 1974, I think it was 73 and 74. I had a little group of friends. Uh, one one of them was a writer director, uh, and we would do these productions, these uh, uh, industrial shows and stuff. And and uh, you know, I was making a living, uh, not a big one, but I was making a living. I was doing commercials and doing whatever, jobbing around Chicago. And after about five years, I got in the union, thanks to my friend Maury, who helped me get in the union. And became a union cameraman, and then I was able to do some operating for people and whatever. But I, we were going to my friend Mick, who was the writer director, was going to what we were going to do a feature film. Say hello. Hello. Let me show you. Let me see, <laughs> see that. There she is. She's hey. got a face. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go away. Go away. You're such a pest. <laughs> we were going to do a feature film in Chicago and my friend had written a script which uh I I think to this day is a good is a good script. I mean he was a really good writer and had many opportunities to come out to California and never wanted to but uh, but he he had written seven or eight scripts by that time and uh they were good. So we were going to try and raise money and shoot this movie. And we got to the point where it was um, about 75% funded. We were going for $750,000 and we were going to shoot in Wisconsin. And we had a, a cast. Uh, we had hired some, 
a, a casting director and we hired and we, we, we committed to an actress and we uh, raised a certain amount of money and then the stock market crashed and, and our money fell out within 24 hours we were gone and uh, oh uh, I, terribly depressed and, 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 you know, I, I kind of had burned my bridges in Chicago and they said, I'm going to make a feature here. And uh, then I said, I'm going to go to Hollywood, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I sort of burned, burned all the opportunities I had. But we started to travel to Los Angeles. I started to get on a plane and go out here and start to meet people and, and, and try and develop some, some relationship. There was a, a commercial director who had moved to, to Hollywood who hired me quite a bit when it got me back and forth and uh, a, a great crazy crazy guy I mean remember this was the the I, I moved out there officially in 1975 so 1975 through about 1980 early 80s was a pretty wild time and I, I live in Laurel Canyon which when I moved into I moved into Laurel Canyon when I first moved to, to Los Angeles, which you know was the the, the music canyon, the hippie canyon, yeah. and uh, uh, it was it was a, just a wonderful time out here, uh, very exciting until uh, until it wasn't anymore. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> I still live in Laurel Canyon. <laughs> I had done a job in Chicago. I did somebody a favor. Here's 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 how this works because this is important because this tells you that if if you're nice to people, not nice to cats, but if you're nice to people, <laughs> uh, you will you you will reap the benefits eventually. So I had done a favor, you know, in those days. In fact, it was an assistant director who moved to California who was doing universal television work. He was in the first uh, DGA training program out here to become an assistant director. And he called me up one day. This is a guy I worked with on, on Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff. He called me up and said, listen, there's these kids moving to Chicago. I know you got an extra room, put them up for, for a few days. Uh, he's starting dental school and she, she's going to need a job and everything. So like we did in those days, in those hippie days, you don't ask questions. Here shows up a young couple uh, who just gotten married. He's going to dental school. Uh, we, we had this loft back room, uh, bedroom, which they, they lived in. They stayed with us for three weeks. And they uh, my, my wife helped her find a job. We helped them find an apartment. <laughs> I mean, just it's just what you do. You know, in those days, that's what yeah. you do. You meet somebody fun and then you so uh <laughs> next thing i knew is i got a call from universal studios the first call was for uh, uh they wanted me to work on the sting 2 sting 2 <laughs> was done partially in chicago and jeremy kagan was directing but i didn't know that at the time jeremy is now yeah. one of my best friends Oh, I ever, I, I'm friends with his, well, I don't know, they had a relationship in the 70s, but Larry Hankin was in Kagan, yeah. one of Kagan's movies in the 70s, and yeah. I think Carl yeah. well, Gottlieb wrote The Sting too, or was in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, of his, one of his buddies, but... Uh, yeah. 
Matter of fact, I shot three three things for Jeremy. Wow. Uh, and he's a fabulous director, just wonderful director. But he's now head of the the graduate directing school at USC. That's what he that's what he does. So I, I got this call to do Sting and, and on it I met and since I was in the union I could do go out there as an operator. Of course they weren't gonna let me touch a camera, but it was like a gift. And I had no idea why. But it turned out that the kids that stayed at my house were the son and daughter-in-law of Henry Bumstead. Bummy, as he was affectionately known, was one of the top two production designers in Hollywood. Wow. Hitchcock, Clint Eastwood, uh, I mean, on down the line, fabulous, fabulous work. And Sting too, which was one of his, <laughs> and and so they just did me a favor. They just you know said, "Here, give this kid three days." He did a nice thing for my son. Wow. And the next thing I know, I got a call from my from my buddy who who had uh, uh, set this up in the first place, and he said, "You're going to get a call from a uh, uh, from a production manager about uh, doing a TV movie in Chicago." I said, "Great, this is how this stuff pays off." So I get a call from, and thinking they're going to want me on the camera crew somehow. So I get a, I, I got a call from a, a, a production manager, kind of a real salty guy, and he said, "We heard good stuff about you, and uh, we'd like to hire you as a location manager." I said, "Okay, I'm a location manager. What is that?" <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so. <laughs> So I, I accepted the job. Fortunately, I was, um, I, I was connected politically in, in the city because my then mother-in-law, not the woman that I was with from University of Wisconsin, she yeah. abandoned me. She left me a month before the wedding. It was very <laughs> difficult. Uh, but a year later, I got married. And uh, my mother-in-law was very connected uh, socially to, to a lot of the city pals and 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 stuff so so i had connections and i was able to do this job as a location manager it's a miserable job by the way it is a hard hard job to do especially if you don't know what you're doing but uh, but i i accomplished it and they they helped me out and and uh, uh and it was a very successful shoot the the director of the piece it was a pilot that never went the director of the piece was a vice president of Universal Studios for television. And he said to me when they were leaving, he said, kid, when you get to Hollywood and you got your union ticket out there, give me a call. Okay, thank you very much. These are the connections. You don't know from day to day who you help out. Maybe yeah. your boss tomorrow, you know, you don't. you just don't know that stuff. So many acts of kindness will help your career, I guarantee you. But I got to California. There was a union problem. Even though I was a member of the union in Chicago and an officer, there was, they, they, don't, they didn't want any of us out there. It was a closed-door situation. And uh, I called the business manager of the union, at that time it was 659 International Cinematographers Guild. 
But uh, uh, I called him up and I said, Jerry, hi, uh, my name's Stephen Poster. I'm vice president of Chicago Local and I'm moving to California. He said, you'll never work out here. And if you do, it'll be over my dead body and then slam the phone down. <laughs> nice reception. Oh, what do I do now? Uh, so <laughs> so I, I, I had one cousin one relative who was in in the the movie business as a, a distribution guy in Chicago for Allied Artists, but he was the only one I knew. His name was Nat Nathanson. He was a very sweet guy, but but he he worked for Allied Artists and whatever. So I called him up. I said, Nat, what do I do? I, I you know the guy <laughs> shut me out. I don't know. I got to go to. You know. So he said, I'll call you tomorrow. He called, he called me tomorrow and he said, here's the name of a lawyer I want you to call. And he gave me the, the name of a lawyer in Hollywood. And I called this guy and he said, uh, what's the problem? I said, well, I, I want to transfer into the union in, in Hollywood. And the, the guy that I talked to on the phone uh, uh, slammed the phone down on him. He said, you'll never work in Hollywood. I said, what's his name? I said, Jerry Smith. He said, hey, I'm playing golf with him tomorrow. I'll take care of it. <laughs> Literally. Okay. That's insane. So they, th there was a, a workaround where they let me become, a, a, my corporation become a, a signature to the union. And they were doing that so that they could prove to the people that were suing them for membership that, you see, people do get in. So I was a shill. I just happened to be walk into it at the right time. And I didn't know yeah. that. And I think for years there were people who resented me for, for, for having done that, but I didn't know, it. you know, I know. Yeah. but that, okay. So, so I got my union ticket and I was able to work and I called Richard Irving, the, the producer uh, and the, the vice president of universal. I said, Richard, I've got my, uh, my union ticket. I'm ready to go. Three weeks later, I had a show. My first, my first television show at Universal, which was called Class of '65, and it had already been on for quite some time. And it was only the last couple shows that they were going to do, but it was my first, it was my first work on on a studio lot. Wow! And it was thrilling. It was just you know just a wonderful experience. <laughs> I learned I, I learned a tremendous amount too. I, I, I politically, I had no idea the. Uh, uh, the the director was very difficult and was uh, was uh, trying to scapegoat me. <laughs> no, that never happens in Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I learned very quickly that that in fact my crew was protecting me. Uh, they realized when I first got out there, I had a standing. I had this crew that had been working together. And the director was taking a lot of time, was way behind, and they 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 called him on the, the carpet and said, uh, why are you taking so much time? He said, well, I got this inexperienced cameraman. What does he know? He's taking all this time. It's not me. It's him. And they, they said, which is illegal to do today. They said, no, sorry, we've been keeping track of the setups. And he's doing seven minutes per setup per turnaround, and you're doing about uh, about a half hour or better. 
Now, tell us what's wrong. So this, this script supervisor saved my job. Wow. They had asked her, they had asked her to keep track. And she literally saved my job. Now it's it's illegal to do now, from what I understand. The directors guild won't won't let people won't <laughs> let anybody keep track of that stuff. But but <laughs> there it was. I would have been fired. My career would have been over at that point. Yeah. Yeah, this kid comes in from Chicago, he doesn't know anything and he's fired. Right? Yeah. Every step along the way is treacherous. That's crazy. That's that's something that that your your audience should should learn about Hollywood. Not only Hollywood, but life. <laughs> Everything is treacherous. There's always somebody who wants to get you for whatever for whatever reason. <laughs> who knows? And I'm a nice guy, you know. I'm fun to work with. <laughs> but uh, but there it was all along the way. You you learn these lessons. Some most most of them the hard way. <laughs> so you're on that 65 the class of 65 class of 65 it lasted yeah it for the last two shows and it was a great experience it really was and i went on from there to do uh some tv movies and then i then i was on this horrible tv movie that i actually got fired on for no for no good reason just because the producer was one of these guys who wanted to fire somebody yeah, they made up an excuse, but uh, it was called. It was Rich Man Poor Man. It was the sequel to the sequel of Rich Man Poor Man, which was a TV show that in, the, in those days. <laughs> and I said, "That's it. I'm not doing any more television. I want to do features. I'm sitting down until I get my first feature." And two months later, I had my first feature, which was Blood Beach. Wow! So. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, quite a quite an experience. It's, <laughs> I wish we could remaster that one because it's actually kind of funny. It was it was the, the idea was there was a, a a a worm from outer space that burrowed itself under Santa Monica Beach <laughs> and, and would suck people under the sand and eat them. Hey, what can I tell you? Hey, that was that era, you know, the Roger Corman and all those just oh, creatures. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, in yeah. fact, Roger Corman, I didn't work on Roger Corman. And and I think that was a big mistake that I didn't. I didn't because Roger Corman was non-union. I was yeah. very union-oriented. Union in those days, you couldn't work non-union. Now you can, as long as you tell us you're doing it. But yeah. uh, uh, I think I think my career would have advanced much faster had I have done had the experience of working on Roger Corman films. Oh, First wow. of all, you cre you create a community. All of those people from all those those films in that era are, are a community. And and second of all, you get experience that you couldn't get any other other way. So um, I I I missed. I I'm sorry I never worked for roger corman but i think it worked out uh, because like right at that point when you look at your imdb like one 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 i wanted to ask you about there's a bunch i want to ask you about but not like remembering like hey how'd you set up this shot or anything like that but like i think it's always funny the outliers on people's imdbs like i love gallagher <laughs> how'd you how'd you come up how'd you come about working on a gallagher stand it was a stand-up special 
Yeah, that's on my that's on my uh, IMDb. Yeah. Really? Yep. As what? As what does it say about camera it? operator? Yeah. Well, I guess that's what I did. But uh, but it was what what happened was um, uh, I I don't remember a whole lot about it. It was a a very druggy time just watermelons were harmed during. Yeah, well, I know. I remember him and and, yeah. and doing it. What happened was my my wife at the time, my first wife, who I married in Chicago, had become the art director for that show, and I was hanging around. So I got to operate the camera for uh, Bill. Uh, 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 it was the, the director. Uh, there, his name just went out of my head, but but really nice guy, guy from Detroit originally, and uh, and I I did some operating for him on that. I'm surprised it's on there. It is, yeah. It's well, usually, yeah. There's probably a lot on here. If you looked on your own, we're not going to obviously go are, through. Well, it all. are you are you, are you on IMDb Pro or IMDb? Uh well, I have both. Does one have more oh, okay. than the other? Well, I think that I because I haven't seen it on Pro. And by by the way. There's a nice IMDb Pro. That's fancy. Yeah, that's how I got your. That's how I got in contact with you. I went on IMDb Pro. Good, good. It's an amazing yeah. program. I mean, you know, it's like I, I I couldn't operate without it. It's just so amazing. The amount, the depth of information that you get from that is just great. Um, there are a few programs like that that are indispensable, but IMDb Pro is is definitely one of them. So really, oh, yeah. it was on there. So that. So what else do you want to ask me about? Oh no, just like it seems like that point. There's always a, like it's so funny all those dominoes that happen throughout your career. Like just so happens that that lawyer was playing golf and just these little things that were happening. But like from there, it looked like it took off. Like eighty two. Yeah, you have Blade Runner. Best little whorehouse in Texas. Second unit. Second unit. Yeah, all all these things. Yeah, but all these things yeah. happening in a row. And you worked on so many cool movies, like I told you. When we talked a few minutes on the phone a few weeks ago, when I talked about David Snyder, was like Blade Runner, Next Year, Strange Brew. So there's like all these great movies that you worked at during that era. Yeah. Yeah, Strange Brew was one of the most fun things I've ever done. My buddy, I've, I've always, yeah. It's one of my one of my buddy's favorite movies, and he wanted to ask about the mouse and the beer bottle in that opening scene. I don't know if you were there for that one. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course. I'm just trying to remember what they did. I think they 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 split the bottle yeah. on the seam and put it put it back together again. <laughs> I'm going to force the mouse into the. Yeah. You know that Muslim beer was going to sponsor the whole show. And then they heard about the gag of, of the mouse in the bottle, and they they turned around and shunned us. So we, <sighs> we couldn't shoot in the Molson Brewery. We couldn't do anything. We had to go out to a little brewery in Western Canada that was an independent to, to, to shoot the, the beer scenes in that movie. Wow. But that was, a, that was fun. I laughed for four months straight. I just It was just wonderful working with those guys. What a what a shame that they've not done another one. I just saw Dave. I did a documentary, reproduced scenes from a documentary for a friend of mine last year called, uh, about uh, a, a, an improv person who invented a lot of the world of improv. Uh, uh, Del, Del Harris. Oh, Del, Del Close. Close. Del Close. 
Yeah, yeah crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah, and and by the way, the documentary is on Netflix. It's oh, called cool. From, for, for Mad Men Only. And I oh, did, I, I check just it out. Did I something. love improv. Oh, well, this, he, you know, he invented so much of it. Yeah. Wait till you hear how, you, you know, if you, if you, if you know anything about improv, you know that one of the techniques that an improv troupe will do is called the Herald. Yeah. Where you ask the audience for, for three subjects and you do a skit about those three subjects. Well, the Herald was an idea that he came up with. And the, the, everybody liked it. And, and he said, but you know what? We, we, we have to have a name for it. We, what are we going to call this? And somebody in the group said, well, Harold's a nice name. He says, okay, we'll call it Harold. <laughs> Harold's a nice was name, it. like naming a kid. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but it, it, Strange Brew was just remarkable. I mean, those guys were so funny. I watched it a few weeks ago. And it's the whole opening sequence is so cool. Like when you're watching a movie within a movie when they're in the theater, it's just so cool because even the camera looks different. So I don't know. It's something yeah. pretty unique. I don't know if anybody tried that up to that point, but you saw like behind the, the behind the curtain sort of. You were like in the movie, like with the audience. It was pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was fun. And then the mouse in the bottle, and then the the. The fly, the moths in the bottle and everything. I mean, they, 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 it was so clever. It was such. It was Hamlet, by the way. It was Shakespeare, and those yeah. guys were Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. That was their, that was their ostensible role. And one thing happened after another, and I ended up marrying Pam. My second. Really? Wife. Yeah. Yeah, I was married to her for about four years. Oh my god! It was my, it was my actress phase. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we, you know, but she was Canadian. She was different enough, and that uh, I thought maybe it would work out. <laughs> but of course, it didn't. Um, uh, what would you say? Like, there's always like that turning point. I know when you were young you were like this is what i'm gonna do forever was there like a film that you worked on that gave you that like i don't know gravitas that people were like oh he worked on blank or he worked with blank was there anything that gave you that edge i think having worked with ridley scott uh gave me a lot of credibility yeah and and that didn't come till blade runner when i was doing second unit on Blade Runner, but um, and, and I was there. That was another fluke that happened. I got a day. Got I got a called in to do one day. My agent got me in to do one day to shoot the the the, the spinner, the uh, car going through the white tunnel. Yeah, that was the only shot. One shot, <laughs> and apparently they had tried it three other times. And the studio was really pissed off. And they said, we don't know why we're doing it again, but it's something he didn't like. Everybody hated Ridley at that point. But uh, on, on that movie, things have turned around now because he, he now, uh, you know, is, is, uh, has done enough movies in America that he knows how good the crews are over here. 
but uh, at that point, he was they, there was a lot of tension between the crew and, and Ridley. Uh, but I came in, you know, for about four weeks. And but what happened was I was hired for the one day, and then he liked the wor- work that I had done. I solved the problem for him, even though I didn't know what quite was the problem. Yeah. And uh, so he kept me around. And every night we would do entire scenes, like the, the whole scene in, in Joanna Cassidy's uh, dressing room where where, where uh, uh, Harry gets beat up, you know, and and uh, yeah. then she he chases her down the street and shoots her. But uh, that we did that all in one night that the interior of that wow and then there were there was lots of, of visual effects stuff that i was doing it was it was great it was just great to be there i was there for about four weeks i think yeah looking at that and then like starman pretty awesome movie and then even like big trouble in little china like john Car- working with carpenter that's this house that i'm in now is it john carpenter's old house it was Adrian Barbeau's house and when, when he was married to her. Oh, I interviewed her ex uh, like last year. Stephen, uh, Stephen Van Zandt's brother, Billy Van Zandt, was married to Adrian Barbeau. Oh, was that really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't buy it directly from her. There was somebody in between, but this was their house. Part of the hey, fog was cool. shot in this house. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, they did it. Not, I, I, they did some scenes out on the deck there's a pool out that out that door there somewhere that's pretty there, awesome there there's a pool yeah <laughs> but uh this was Holy this was crap. her house yeah yeah and in fact that's amazing not only that not only did i work for him on starman and on big trouble in little china but tommy lee wallace was his production oh, designer in school and school buddy and I did a, a movie with him, uh, uh, Aloha Summer, I think it's called. Oh, sweet. No, I like Tommy Lee Wallace. Yeah. He's great. And I did a movie with Nick Castle, who was the third guy in their rock band. Nick yeah. Castle, Tommy Lee Wallace, and uh, John Carpenter. So <laughs> inadvertently worked with all three of them. <laughs> yeah, in one capacity. And then like, Oh yeah, here I see Aloha Summer, but like even at that point, like we talked about, like uh, the, the Gallagher. I know you just did that because the the your girl was the art director, but you have a Madonna video. You worked on a Madonna yes. video. I shot like a prayer. Amazing, you know. They, uh, I, I, I hadn't been doing a lot of music videos, although I did a lot of them. And in, 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 they weren't even called music videos in Chicago. In the early days, different bands and things. I did a lot of music stuff. And uh, I got hired to to do this Madonna video. I think Bill Pope did a lot of them. And, and he wasn't available. He, he was married to the producer. And he wasn't available. He's a, he's a fabulous shooter, by the way. They needed somebody to do kind of classy Hollywood-type lighting and to, to make her look different remember she had dark hair in it and yeah. um so so i got hired and we shot for three days it was wonderful i didn't know that it was going to be controversial what did i know 
Yeah, yeah, you stick a little nail in the hand and, you know, there's some blood that comes out. I said, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to burn some crosses up on San Pedro Hills. You know, the whole bay could see it, right? It's controversial, I guess. You know, I didn't know. What did I know from stigmata or from, from uh, burning yeah. crosses? <laughs> so, okay, fine, let's do it. <laughs> and like one of the you worked on a, a few sequels over the years but like the one i wanted to talk to you about was rocky five which was when i guess at the time i was four at the time but even when i was younger watching all of them in, in a row you get to that fifth one it's such a yeah. different movie but that's the that's what the sequel you have to change there has to be something he can't just be that normal rocky they screwed up. The studio screwed up. He's Sly screwed up. He was supposed to die in that movie. He was supposed to die in that street fight. Really? And that would have made it. That would have made it an absolute fucking classic. Because it's not. It's not a bad movie. It's just no. It's the only Rocky. The only Rocky that didn't make any money. But. Uh, <laughs> But they they changed. They said, "Oh well, we don't want to kill off our asset," and it really was a bad decision because it would have been people would have flocked to that movie to see it if wow. he if, if he had died. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that's it. that's it's the luck of the draw. Yeah, but when you started in that movie, it was already like started filming in the script. He was supposed to die, and then during they changed it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and and in fact, I made a mistake getting hired on that movie, and not not a mistake doing the movie, but but it, but a mistake because I was doing a, a an additional unit or an end, a new ending for Tango and Cash for another Stallone movie. And yeah, uh, we were out movie. in the desert. We were out in the desert shooting, and 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 Sly came out of his trailer and and walked up to me and said, uh, "Hey, uh, how'd you like to shoot Rocky Five? And I said, "I'd love to. That would be fun." <laughs> what does the director think? He says, "Oh no, he loves you. He wants to work with you." Well, it was John <sighs> Avildsen who directed the first one. And yeah. John fancied himself a cinematographer too, by the way. And he, I, <laughs> it's a classic. We had to, after Tango and Cash, a couple of weeks later, we had to do some screen tests for, for Sly to uh, find the, the kid that was going to be the kid in the movie for him. Yeah. And uh, at that time it wasn't his, his son. And so we're on this empty stage, this big empty stage at Warner Brothers. And there was a little two-wall set that we were going to use to do. It's right in the middle of the stage. And these stages, I don't know if you've ever been on a Hollywood stage. They're vast, okay, and dark, and a big open volume of space. And the stage door opened. And this big streak of sunlight comes in, and this guy <laughs> is silhouetted back there. And he starts walking toward us. And by the time he got halfway to me, I could sense that he hated my guts. 
and that was John Appleton. Seriously, <laughs> that's exactly exactly how it happened. And he made my life miserable to the point where <laughs> my longtime gaffer at that point, who was a kind of legend in the business himself, uh, uh, a wonderful, wonderful, talented man, but had been in the business long enough to be a pretty somewhat irascible at times. And John Avildsen would come in late every single morning. And he had his method. What he would do was he would give us a shot to set up the night before, especially if we were on stage. And then he would come in in the morning late because he was up all night editing and doing whatever, who knows. <laughs> and he, he would come in and he'd say, that's not what I told you to do. Tear it up. Let's start over again. And we would have to tear up what he said and go in and do a few close-ups before lunch and come back after lunch and do the exact shot that he that we had set up. But that was his method for, for being uh, making it okay that he was late. Jesus. Well, he, he came in one morning toward the very end. I think there were three weeks left. And at this point, I mean, I was getting sick. I just didn't even want to be there. Uh, and that? and he said, I don't know, I don't know what you do. You take so much time. You're terrible. You blah 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 blah. And and uh, every time I come in, there's something wrong. And 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 my my gaffer said out loud to him in front of the crew, Well, if you came come in on time and be more professional, <sighs> that was it. I knew that I was fired that day. And I was, in fact. And really? How far this, into the yeah, shoot? Oh, three, it was three weeks to the end. I had done over 50 days. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> these are, the, these are you know, Hollywood stories. Nobody talks about being fired. Hollywood stories. Well, he's always done crazy stuff because he did the Karate Kid, right? Yeah. So, he... During the shooting of that, he like I, again it worked out for the movie. But Ralph Macchio at that time was like a seventeen, or I don't know how old yeah, he was for the kid. first one. I think no, he was a little young. bit older. He was still pretty young, uh -huh. yeah. But uh, he like isolated him, like made him stay in his own trailer, so that animosity was real. I interviewed one of his buddies in the movie that got all of his lines cut, but he was a pretty cool guy. But he was telling me Ralph would be in this one trailer and he wouldn't hang out with the Cobra Kai, so it was like real like they he really hated them so obviously it worked out but no that's but you know <laughs> Evelson was not a he was not a nice man that's all I got to oh say yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well let's talk about more like funner projects so I wanted to ask like what is the difference so when you look on your IMDB there's like cinematographer and director of photography what's the difference between Same those thing. two same, same no exact difference. thing. Oh, okay. Same exact thing. And in fact, uh, on on my next movie, may it be soon, I want to be titled as cinematographer, not as director of photography, because I promised Vittorio Storaro, because he has a thing about. He says we're not directors, we're cinematographers, <laughs> and uh, uh, he said uh, uh, you should you should tell everybody they should be called cinematographers, not directors. 
And, <laughs> and I said, but, but, but I said, but it's a contractual thing. It's with the contractual thing with the producer. No, I don't care. You should tell the producers not to do. It. So I promised him on my next feature, I was going to be, you <laughs> uh, have the title of cinematographer. <laughs> <laughs> And then on like jobs that you go in and it's like additional photography, like for like basketball, the Matt Stone and Trey Parker movie. What kind of, what is that? That's like three, four days of, of shooting some section that they didn't get during production and they do additional photography during that time. So I think I was there for four days, three or four days. I don't remember, but we, we got to work with them and that was fun. That's a wild movie, yeah. and and it's very, really it's, it's it's very it's some a director or a, a second unit director of photography is there for most of the production, and you get sent out to do stuff every every day or every other day or whatever, but but when you just come in for a few days afterwards and and cover for somebody, that's called additional photography. All right, you taught me that. Do you have like a favorite? It, you know, obviously, there's a lot of things on here. Do you have like a favorite, I would say like one shot, but is there a scene that you shot that would be like the quintessential, like Steve poster, like scene? You know, I would consider the whole movie of Donnie Darko. Oh yeah. I was about to ask that. Very, a very important movie for me artistically not just because it was a cult classic and everybody loves it and everybody knows it and whatever. And, uh, you, you know, and I could walk into an audience in any college and say, how many people have seen Donnie Darko and many hands raised, but no, it was because I had decided to try something that I had been wanting to do for a long time. I'm a very technical guy and I know a lot about technology and I'm, constantly working on new stuff and 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 involved i did the first uh the third uh digital intermediate ever done uh the second in america and the third uh, to be done in the world wow i do new stuff like that every every time and on donnie darko i wanted to change my my methodology i wanted to change my emotional tone and what I did was I worked much more intuitively I worked from here as opposed to here and and that that changed a lot for me so so as as late as that was in my career it really was a very major project for me working with Richard Kelly was a dream I don't know why he hasn't done another movie in, in, in a number of years, but just one of the best directors I've ever worked with and just an exciting, exciting man to work with in, in terms of uh, what we have together. To me, Donnie Darko was, was essentially a, 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 a change, a change up for me. And that's, that's fun. There are others, there, there are others definitely, uh, uh, I, I think there's some really iconic shots in Dead and Buried, if you get a chance to see it. And that I'm going to check know, those my out. Second, my second movie, uh, but there's some really iconic shots that uh, we we were left 
up in Mendocino County with no adult supervision for four months. In 19, wow. what was that, 1979, something like that? Yeah. You know? It's, it's a pretty bold move for a production company. <laughs> yeah, four months. We, we really had... We had very little supervision, and we did it on time and on budget. There was nothing they could argue about. But there, we were there for four months. You know, it's a it's an interesting movie. I gotta check those out. And then I see like a, a you have some new things coming up or recently came out. Is the Miles Davis documentary out already? It's not distributed. Uh, we're looking for for distribution. What happened there? My friend Chris Wilkinson, who was the second unit director on the river that I did for uh, uh, for Mark Rydell and and uh, Vilma Sigmund, and so I worked very closely with Chris Wilkinson. He, he's he's a, an A list writer. He's one of the A list writers, and uh, in town, um, one of the what they call the ten A list writers. But he was going. He was writing this movie about Miles Davis for HBO. Don Cheadle was going to star in it, and I think direct wow. it. And as part of the deal, he made a deal with with HBO that he could do a documentary on Miles Davis. And so we had. Uh, there's a jazz club out here called Catalinas, and on a Sunday morning, we brought seven of Miles Davis's sidemen and, and friends to just sit around the table and, and bullshit about Miles in the old days and, and working in those days and being in jazz. And I had two cameras on it. We just covered it. And it's, it turned out to be, the footage turned out to be very classic in terms of who and what, who was there and what they were saying. So it sat in the can for years because the documentary or the feature film had, had fallen apart from HBO. I think they eventually did something, but it wasn't the project that Chris did. So it sat in the can. And I, I finally, about a year ago, said, Chris, you got to do something with this. This is classical. These guys are dying yeah. off. You want to you be able to document them. And, and he did. And he did a good cut on it. And uh, we're hoping that uh, that it will get picked up and do some do some distribution about it because it's a nice little movie. I love that. Now, Larry Hankin again. He when we were I'm helping him write his book, his memoirs, and he's going through this part of his career. And he was opening up for Miles Davis, and one of his stories was the he was opening up for him because he, he had the same agent as Woody Allen. So Woody Allen. Uh. A longtime manager like got Larry hooked up with Miles, and they did like a private show one time for the Kennedys, like way back. Wow, Larry was super young, but yeah, he has a funny story about Miles Davis actually paying attention to Larry's act and doing a joke about the Hell's Angels, like miming it while he was singing. I thought that was the coolest uh. thing, and I saw that on there. I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome, and I love the way you just described it. Just his buddies and family sitting around, just yeah. like shooting the shit. That's great. It's really, it was really very fascinating. You know, I was a jazz fan when I was a kid, and uh, so to be around it, it was just, it was wonderful. Wow. So besides that, this is like towards the end. I always like to ask folks. So like, 
I know obviously you wanted to do, always wanted to do photography. That was like in your head, you were going to do something. Was there anything you already ha- ever had like in the back of your head? Like, Hey, you know what? If this doesn't work out, I can do blank. If this didn't work out, I would have been fucked. <laughs> that simple. <laughs> there was nothing your mom had. <laughs> yeah. They wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer. They didn't care. You know, yeah. Jewish kid, you know, That's true. <laughs> I had to, I had to do something, but uh, yeah. and they didn't. And actually I have to say, I mean, they didn't understand that my, my dad was, was an immigrant and my mom was second generation, but she was, you know, they were, they were middle-class middle, middle, middle-class factory. My dad owned a factory, made manufactured luggage. My mom did all the books for him and stuff. And, you know, they were, they were, they were working stiffs, you know? So they didn't know what I was up to. And then, and especially getting bad grades in high school. I mean, they, yeah. they had no idea you know, I was their son. They wanted me to do something appropriate. Yeah. Maury, my next door neighbor was very helpful with them. He, he sat them down and said, yes, he can do, he can have a good career and don't worry about him. He'll be fine. He's ambitious. And, you know, he, he really smoothed the way for me. That's great. That whole connection, like throughout, like when I listen back and like edit this or when people are listening to this, like just those little dominoes that fell in the right way. Like it's pretty remarkable. Now, when you were on set, I know a lot of people, when you're in the moment, it's like, they always say like the last time you play like baseball with your neighborhood buddies, like you never know when the last time's happening, you know? So like never know when you were on set of any movies, did you like grab any like keepsakes or any scripts? Do you keep any of that stuff? You ready? Uh, I got something. Yes. Wait, I'm going to show you. And, and uh, how many? If it's Adrian Barbo's bra. I'm... <laughs> no, 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 no. How in touch with you are, are how many times have you seen Blade Runner, the original? Uh, a lot of times. And then I watch it a few times where I talk to David. Okay. You recognize this? Oh my gosh! How did you keep that? The mannequin hands. <laughs> you know when the, and the set dressing they yeah. had all those mannequins. It says one of the hands from the mannequins. <laughs> we use it as a we use it as a doorstop. <laughs> Holy crap! How'd you get that? Just like I took it, swiped it. <laughs> I I that's great. I told the set dressers. I, I always I always take a prop or something, and I always tell the set oh, cool. that, that that I did, you know. So <laughs> I love yeah, that. So there it is. Do you have yeah. the mouse in the beer bottle? <laughs> no, I don't have that. What do I have? Anything from Strange Room? Not that I remember. There must be something somewhere in a box. That's great that you have that. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. Steven, this has been awesome. This is something I carry. Where did I do? Okay, one more. One more. This is awesome. This you'll like. This you'll like. Hang on. Oh, here it is. Okay. (laughs) This was, let's see if you can see it. This was the gift that we got. You see it? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You see? 
Yeah, Swiss Army knife, Blade Runner. It was a gift That's from awesome. the producers. <laughs> oh my gosh, Stephen! I'm so happy mm. we connected. This has been so much Me fun. Me too. This is really. fun. Absolutely. I love taking that trip Absolutely. down memory lane with folks, and I love, like I said before, and I'll say it again, like just that how everything worked out. That that phone call was to the right person, and just unbelievable. You never, you never know. No, you never know. From day they always to day, say, be nice on know. your way up, because be yeah. nice on your way up, because you're going to have to be people. You want people to be nice with you on your way down, right? <laughs> so, yeah. As they climb over you, but but yes. it, but it's true. I mean, that's just my nature anyway. To to, to yeah. be helpful, and and, and uh, I, I like doing that. I like. I, I mentor a lot of people around the world. In fact, I have a, a, a mentee that I've, I've worked with for years from India, from Southern India. Oh, wow. And now he's a, produ- now he's a producer. In fact, he was uh, Ang Lee's assistant and uh, a location manager for, for Life of Pi. And, oh, wow. Uh, and he's, he's my, my And good you were able to tell him what a location life. manager was. <laughs> well, I did, but uh, but he was way ahead of me at that point. But yeah. but but uh, Samir, I, I years ago there's there is something now called CML Cinematographers Mailing List, which is a a group of cinematographers from around the world online who who have discussion groups, and that was born out of a an AOL group, and that AOL group. I was writing something about the spirituality of light and I got an email back from this young man who said, you know, who asked me a question about it. And he was the only one that responded to my, to my uh, email or to my, my statement about the spirituality of light. And it turns out he is, was Indian. He had just been getting out of high school, going to college for film school. Uh, he's from Southern India and, um, we just connected and we started talking on the phone and emailing a lot. And I, I subsequently, I know his entire family. I visited him in India. He's visited oh, wow. me here. And, and he was the, uh, he, he, in fact, if you remember life of Pi, there was a, a city called Pondicherry and there was a house that Pi lived in, in Pondicherry and it's Southeast India. And that house was his grandfather's house. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. But I have people all over the world that I talk to. That's awesome. And, That's gotta be so rewarding old. to like to work with people and pass along your your knowledge, and that probably means so much to them and for you, you know. Well, it does for me. I like it. It's very fulfilling, and that's one of the reasons I teach. You know, every every semester I get new kids. That's awesome. it's, it's fun. It is fun. Thank you for asking me. Steven, wow. The stuff that he had at the end. I had to leave it in there because we did talk about it. So I know there was like a little bit of dead air. But uh, yeah, the fact that he got a Swiss Army knife from Blade Runner. And then he kept the mannequin hand, which is so cool. And I just love the, he <laughs> when he was at Southern Illinois, he was in the class for underachievers and Look where he went, his career, what he's still doing today, and the fact that he lives in John Carpenter's house. Ah, so much fun. Steven, thank you. And now, your homework. 
Rocky Five. It's on HBO Max. You can rent it anywhere and everywhere. And man, this one has a lot to unpack. You know, the real ending that was supposed to be done, but John Avildsen and the studio is like, nope, we can't do that. I'm not going to tell you. You can look it up or just check out next week's sequel review of Rocky Five. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night.